You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean. Hope you've enjoyed the first week back here Monday through Friday with me as your host. I know I've had a lot of fun, uh, a wide range of guests and some some old favorites, some new people. I hope you bared with me for my solo episode breaking down everything going on with regard to Chris Paul yesterday. Go back and check your feed if you missed anything. Uh, I cannot wait. We are just less than a week away from the draft now, free agency shortly thereafter, and uh, the season not far away either. I might have to start a countdown sometime soon once we get within within a month of basketball. Uh, somehow we are already just about there. Uh, to, to go through everything, though, because I know you know the Suns are one of the only teams that are likely to have cap space, and some of the ways that they can get there or, or the different options can be sort of tricky. And one of the people that I always refer to um, is David Nash. And we don't get to hear David's voice on airwaves quite as often as we used to, but he runs an awesome newsletter over at Substack. I, I'm sure many of you subscribe to it, but if you do not, go ahead and uh, and go to the Four Point Play Substack. But David is here with us today to break down all the Suns' options. How does this Chris Paul thing throw a wrench into that? And uh, really what lies ahead for the Suns over the next two and a half weeks or so before the roster gets finalized. David, uh, I appreciate having you on as always. How uh, how uh, confused and, and puzzled are you by everything that's going on? I sure am. Thanks for having me, Brendan. As you said, I'm not doing the podcast anymore, so it's always good to scratch the itch every now and then. And I always enjoyed coming on Locked On uh, when you guys invited me on. So uh, yeah, it's a wild ride. We were talking about it just before we, we jumped on here, but uh, you know, very condensed off season now. Normally, we've got a little bit of time, but we've been, you know, waiting in a weird way so long for for basketball to come back. If you kind of discount the the small taste we got in the bubble, at least of Suns basketball. So, I, I'm trying to embrace it, even though I'm in the middle of moving house at the moment, and oh, no. uh, pretty much all of the draft and free agency is going to come when I, I don't really have time to be sitting down uh, looking at what the Suns are doing. So. Uh, I, I lay in fear of a, a Woj bomb kind of right in the middle of, uh, you know, moving a fridge or something. And I, I just uh, am going to have to, yeah, either drop <laughs> it or, or uh, just ignore Suns for a couple of days and, and sure. probably come back uh, delayed. But I, I'm pretty used to that with my time zone difference anyway, being behind everyone else and just have to find uh, some unique things to talk about that haven't been covered yet. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we obviously in the States, love anything that you can give us because uh, despite the challenges, you are one of the the best analytical voices here for us. So um, again, thanks for coming on and let's, let's dig, let's dig into it here because I think it felt like a pretty standard off season going in. Uh, You know, like I said at the top, the Suns being one of the only teams looking likely to have one, you know, maybe one of about a half dozen teams looking to have cap space or reasonable cap space where they could actually uh, go get a player. Um, that could change, you know. I, I guess it's it's looking like even with the Chris Paul thing, though, that's it's that's fairly likely to happen. 
that they will still have some spending money. So let's talk about uh, if you could break down for us how the sort of most likely scenarios to them getting a legitimate amount of money to spend here in free agency. Yeah, if, as you said, if we put the kind of Chris Paul stuff to to the side for a little bit, I think you know using cap space is probably the most um, attractive option at the moment. I've been talking about you know going over the cap, which we can get into in a little bit as well. But I think in turn we keep reading that you know the Suns want to make a splash, you know Chris Paul trade or or something else, and I just think for the the fans, you know, going out and you know, buying or, or spending on a, a new player is kind of the biggest splash that you can get. So, you know, the way I have it, I think the Suns can kind of open up, you know, around 22 million if they wanted to, which isn't quite max cap space, but, you know, there's not many max type players in this free agency. So they'd probably be looking at spreading that over a couple of players anyway. And, you know, that's bringing back kind of a core eight or so players, you know, Ricky Rubio, Booker, Mikhail, Aiton, Cam, uh, Ty Jerome, Jalen, uh, and probably Kelly Oubre for now as well uh, is kind of your, your core there. So basically getting rid of all of those team options, all those non-guaranteed salaries, uh, and even the free agents as well. And you, you can probably open up around 22 million, which you know no one really knows what salaries are going to be like in this free agency period because you know you said it there, there's only, I think, five teams that have cap space. So most teams are only going to have the... Um, non-taxpayer mid-level exception to spend uh, and it's just not a great overall free agency class as well which sometimes means it goes the other way and, and some average players get overspent on but you know everyone's kind of guessing right now so I, I think that 22 million is a pretty good number to get a couple of pretty decent free agents through the door yeah I went on uh, locked on Raptors yesterday talking about Fred Van Vliet and um you know the Chris Paul stuff complicates him as a as a target, but just thinking about um, type of players and how much they might make. Uh, the host over there, Sean Woodley, basically said he expected the make or break number for for Van Vliet with Toronto to be about twenty three or so million dollars. Um, so I think I think you're probably going to see you know because the cap again is going to stay flat, just over one hundred nine million dollars. Um, you know, probably, I guess the best place to operate from is that players are going to make similar types of players will make about the same type of money that they made last year. At least that's kind of where I've been estimating from real quick though. Uh, one of the ways, one of the things they would have to do to create that space would be, um, to get rid of Dario Saric, um, or at least not extend a qualifying offer to him. So, uh, and, and retain his re- restricted rights, what, where do you land on Dario as far as, is that something, um, if the Suns don't have a, an obvious target, like, you know, they don't have some guy that they know they're going to go spend that money on, would you, what would you, how would you handle that situation? Because there's also the, the chance of retaining him on a smaller salary than his cap hold early in free agency, so that number actually goes a bit down. What would you do in an ideal world with Dario? Yeah, it's a good question. And obviously his play in the bubble kind of made us all think twice about, you know, getting rid of him. Um, I think, you know, if you are looking to open up as much space as possible, getting rid of his, you know, $10 million cap hold, as you said, uh, and not even extending his $4 million qualifying offer is the way to do that. But they, the Suns are in a unique situation here where they can kind of play 
the field a little bit. So let's use Fred Van Viet as the, as your example here, because you brought him up before. Say, you know, his number is 23 million and the Suns know they can get to, you know, 22 and change basically. So, you know, let's call that good enough for now. The Suns can still extend the qualifying offer to Dario. Talk to Fred Van Viet. You know, I've had a few tweets. I would say these discussions are already happening at the moment, even though free agency hasn't technically started because, you know, things are going to go so quickly here. And uh, even before this year, you know, there was always rumours that deals had been agreed to well before July 1st opened up. But, you know, they can talk to Fred, look for that commitment. If they get that commitment, then they can go and make all the, you know, transactional moves that they have to make to open up that space. But if they don't, they're still going to have those cap holds or the qualifying out offer out for Dario as sort of a plan B or C, for instance. And, you know, that's what I've been laying out in my newsletter is, you know, they can, they've kind of got multiple options here. And I think Dario fits into a couple of them. He certainly doesn't fit if you're looking to open up as much space as possible because, um, you know, his cap hold, or as you said, even if you signed him early in free agency for a lower number, I still think it's going to be significant enough that uh, it's going to cut too much into your space to get a guy like Fred. But, you know, whether it's uh, just using a smaller amount of cap space after you sign Dario or going the over the cap route, I do think that, you know, someone asked me earlier today, I I would put it at 50-50 right now just as a, a pure guess because I think there's a couple of avenues that the Suns could realistically go down where Dario makes a lot of sense to stay on the roster. Uh, But if they're going, you know, big fish hunting, for instance, I think that's where we're going to have to say goodbye and he's going to have to find another situation. Let's get into some of those scenarios right after this. I want to tell you guys first, though, about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. We've been telling you about them for a long time, and that's because they're they're just delicious. Um, they it's kind of a weird like memory that I have to be honest with you of Built Bar. The first time that I had one, the um, my main sort of like the place they hold in my mind because it was at the beginning of all of this this year when we all had to start going home, and that meant for anyone who works out or is just active that suddenly that was that was all in your house or. Um, somewhere near your home, right outside. So uh, there was a lot of indoor workouts and a quick jog around the neighborhood, things like that, that we were all doing, a walk with the family. And uh, Bilt Bar is perfect for stuff like that. And that's how I've continued to use it ever since. It's 18 amazing flavors. They got caramel, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, as well as some more interesting fruit ones like orange or raspberry if you're in that if that's your deal if that's your preference they have kind of everything and the best part is they're all delicious they're covered in 100% chocolate they're soft and easy to chew they're not these chalky bricky things that uh just kind of weigh you down and don't taste very good they're they're delicious and they're very light 180 to 200 calories maybe even less in some situations cookies and cream only 130 calories so as we try to stay active as we try to make the most of this and find ways to try a yoga class in your backyard or, or whatever we are all doing these days, uh, Built Bar is perfect for it because it's just that quick pick-me-up, that quick refresh, that quick uh, little bit of, of food to get in your system for a workout or just a busy day. It doesn't even have to be uh, a workout. It can just be, I'm just hungry. <laughs> I'm not going to have dinner for a while. The takeout's taking a while to get here. Let me pop one of these in and uh, enjoy it. Really just like a candy bar, to be honest, and they're packed with protein. So Uh, I could not recommend them more. And best of all, right now you get a free cooler with your purchase of a Built Bar. Um, Literally a cooler. 
keep them cool because they are chocolatey. So they can melt if you're not careful. If you take them onto the road, if you take them out to a mountain range or something in the valley, uh, pop them in this cooler. It's an awesome little promo they're doing. You're going to go to builtbar.com to take advantage and use the promo code locked on. That's all one word, L O C K E D O N. You'll get 20% off your first order as well as that free cooler while supplies last. Again, promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. We are back here with David Nash going through the Suns salary cap options here. Appreciate you listening in on the Built Bar read, David. Um, I am curious here where we stand in terms of some of these over-the-cap types of options because I think there's a, a decent case to be made when you think about who would have to leave for the Suns to really, really make big moves. Um, you're talking about the majority of the rotation last year or a good bit of it outside of the core young group. So, you know, that means that Aaron Baines, who was so solid at times last year, is probably gone. Dario Saric, probably gone. Even guys like Campaign and Javon Carter potentially on the outs, although less likely because they're fairly cheap players in the first place. Um, what kind of is the best avenue in your mind if the Suns choose to sort of play things a little bit more conservatively and keep some of those players around. You were, you were hinting at it a little bit in that last segment with Dario, but let's get a little more specific here in terms of some of the options available to them. Yeah, no worries. I think, yeah, I think I tried to lay this out quite a while ago in a, in a newsletter talking about, uh, you know, the, the off season really depending on how much Robert Sarver is willing to spend uh, and then I've done a little bit more specifically with the last couple of newsletters uh, and around the, the CP3 rumors. But it, what it boils down to is if you're not going to go that kind of maximum space you can open up route and go the uh, under the cap route, but you still really want to keep Dario around. If you look at the math, like they can probably open up, you know, let's call it say around seven or eight million in space while keeping Dario's cap hold on the books. Then you could sign Dario over the cap. You could sign, uh, say, Javon Carter over the cap. But it wouldn't include a guy like Aaron Baines, who also has a $10 million cap hold as well. So you would have to get rid of him. So then, you know, and you would have the room exception as well, I should mention, which is about $4 million, the same contract that Frank Kaminsky signed uh, last offseason. So hopefully I'm not kind of, you know, causing your listeners' heads to spin too much here, but I will wrap it up at the end. But you compare that to the over-the-cap route, which is basically you keep all those holds on the books. So Dario's $10 million, uh, Baines is $10 million, uh, Javon even contributes to that. Um, your your number 10, 10 pick has a cap hold that contributes to that. And basically, all that does is allow the Suns... Um, let's call it fake salary for now, to be over that $109 million, uh, which is the salary cap that is set for next season, as you said. But what you get when you do that is you get some other exceptions that the NBA gives you to sign other players. And, and the biggest one of those is the mid-level exception, which is around $9 million this year. You also get the, bi the option of the biannual exception, uh, which is around $3 million this year. So all of that is to say that if you do the maths on it, if you go the under the cap route and you take that eight, $9 million in space that you might be able to open up, plus the room exception, you're looking at maybe having a total of $12, $13 million to spend on new players, plus re-signing Dario and Javon, for instance. If you go the over the cap route, you're gonna have that same 
12, $13 million in those two exceptions that you get. Plus you can sign uh, Javon over the cap. Plus you can sign Dario over the cap. Plus you can sign Aaron Baines over the cap as well, if you like. And the, the thing that I love about that option is you're essentially running it back. Like all of those guys who contributed to last season, whether it was early on in the season or in the bubble, obviously Baines wasn't there. You're bringing all that continuity back. Plus you're still having 12, $13 million to go and get, you know, I've advocated for a guy like DJ Augustine, like as good as uh, campaign was in the bubble. You know, I don't think you can kind of just put all your chips in the, the uh, backup point guard role on campaign playing 72 games plus hopefully playoffs next season. So, you know, I would go and get a really solid third guard with that mid-level exception. You've got a little bit more money to play around the edges as well. And you don't really need to fill out the roster that much because you've brought back the majority of the roster anyway. So for those that like what happened in the bubble, want continuity, but kind of know that there's a hole here or there where the Suns need to address, I do think the over-the-cap option is a, is a realistic one, uh, kind of in technical terms, I guess. The where it comes down to is, you know, is it realistic from Sava's perspective? Like, uh, yeah. is he going to spend what yeah. would be, you know, you're not going to be a tax team or anything like that, but you prob- your salary is probably going to be in the 120, $125 million range. And particularly, you know, in the market that we're in at the moment, the Suns sure. might not be able to bring fans in to start sure. with. You know, that's where I can totally understand that someone might question that it's not a realistic option. But, you know, I try and look at what is... Uh, available to them within the rules. And I do think that the over the cap option uh, is something that they should seriously consider. And, you know, we can even get into uh, what that then allows them to do uh, from a trade perspective and stuff. Let's say this CP3 stuff falls over. They would have many more assets um, to make trades during the year to get better as well. And I think that can be overlooked sometimes. You know, we're in a position at the moment, everyone's looking at the CP3 stuff and you kind of have to trade Rubio and Ubre, and, and no one wants to do that, or a lot of people don't want to. Whereas uh, this would give you a lot more salary to play around with during the season for big trades like that, Brendan. Yeah, that's a great point. That, that is something that I think gets overlooked. And the reason, like you just said, that Ubre and Rubio are are the sort of the only pawns to play with here is it's it's the same we see it so often i remember the example i always think of is uh in boston when they were you know always in these trade rumors Kawhi leonard paul george jimmy butler for years and years it was always boston because they had all these picks from from philadelphia and sacramento and everything and it was like the marcus smart contract was the only middling middling contract that they had that wasn't either a rookie deal like jalen brown's or a maximum deal like an Al Horford, now a Kemba Walker, a Gordon Hayward. So the Suns, by doing this over the cap path, would have a Dario Saric and an Aaron Baines or a DJ Augustine making, you know, not rookie money, but not quite starter level money, that in-between route that that it can be pretty easy to piece together if you are going to make a trade eventually. So that is, that's definitely a, a pro on that side. And like you said, I mean, it remains to be seen if Robert Sarver would do that. I mean, I remember last year, Frank Kaminsky, the fact that the Suns even used that room exception was noteworthy last year because Ryan McDonough never seemed to get the green light to spend that money um, because it's not something you have to do. You can just fill that with minimum players if you'd like to. You don't have to spend on a veteran 
room exception salaried player, and Ryan McDonough never seemed to do it, whether it was his choice or Sarver's, the money was not really available to him to do. So uh, we'll see if it happens. But I think when I hear you lay that all out, to me, it kind of becomes clear that the two smartest options are either to go all in on cap space or all in on running it back. Because that in-between area where you have a tiny bit of cap space, we know that tends to be hard to spend because you're finding you're trying to find a player who's going to make that exact amount of money and teams can easily outbid you if they do have space and uh, it tends to be that those teams seem to not actually spend that money or um, use it in a trade to just take back slightly more it's not really enough to meaningfully upgrade your roster in and of itself so I at least on my side I kind of think create the cap space get rid of almost everybody as far as the holds and and uh, and options go or bring back almost everybody, have those mid-tier salaries, and have some more flexibility in the trade market. And by the way, throughout all this, you're going to probably keep the top 10 pick, which is another interesting and, and you know promising piece for the roster that you're going to add organically. That's not something you have to spend money on. That's built into this. So that's where I stand. And I think we're seeing that the Suns probably see things similarly, considering that the first rumors we're hearing are not Suns prepared to make a big offer for Fred Van Vliet. It's a trade, which would signal that they're still trying to keep the cap space option open. We can get into that in the next segment. The last thing I wanted to hit on in this segment, though, is no matter what route they go, whether they do create the cap space, maybe it's a little less likely then, but especially if they create less cap space or they go run it back and, and basically have no cap space and operate over the cap, is... The Kelly Oubre factor, that's still going to be an option for this team. That's not going away. The reality is this guy's going to hit the free agency market next summer or whenever that ends up happening, I guess late summer, is that, that that's looming, right? So that's one way where they can also upgrade outside of just this cap decision. They can use him as an asset still to find players that make a similar amount of money to him. In your newsletter, you you pointed out Spencer Dinwiddie, which I think would be a really good option. What are some of the ways the Suns can use Kelly's salary as part of these mechanisms to still go out and trade Ubre, maybe by himself or with a pick or with another young player to still upgrade the roster? Yeah, it's a really important point. And I think even if it doesn't happen this offseason, it's going to be the storyline all season long as well, as you said, because they're running into a position where um, you know, if they don't trade him before the trade deadline, then they're either going to re-sign him if you know both parties want to do that, or he's going to walk to another team for free, and you don't get anything in return for him other than you know maybe the cap space that he leaves behind. So you know we're seeing his name in the in the Chris Paul rumors, if for no other reason that it, it kind of has to be at the moment, um, and we're going to see it in pretty much any trade that the Suns are linked to, any big trade anyway, whether it's this off season. Uh, or even when the season is starting. And as you said, he might be the biggest asset that the Suns have to improve the roster either this offseason or during the season. You know, I think we can't rule out, you know, things might die down this offseason. They might look like they're running it back. But let's not just think then that that's going to be the team for the rest of the season. I I still think if they're hovering around the eighth seed, uh, if they start really, really well and they kind of go, oh, you know, we're, we're in a real shot to maybe even get home court advantage here or something. Like, I wouldn't even rule out Kelly Oubre being traded for, you know, a big player during the season as well. So I think when you've got him at that 
I think $14 million and a little bit over that um, in his salary. Like you said before, other than Rubio um, and guys that you just don't want to trade, like Aiton and Mikhail, for instance, he's pretty much the only salary that you can trade. And once free agency is over in particular, then you're much more bound by the salary matching rules, which is where Kelly is always going to be linked to certain trades for biggest, bigger players as well with that kind of $14, $15 million. So, you know, I, I'm really anxious, I guess is the word, to see how it plays out. I, I do think, you know, reading the tea leaves a little bit, they, they're kind of maybe wanting to trade Kelly before the season starts and not have to deal with the drama of it in season if they decide to pull the trigger on a trade. Um, it, it's a really hard one to read. I think every Suns fan struggles with this because... Um, of how attached we are to Kelly Oubre, you know, the Valley jerseys getting released and him being the centerpiece of that uh, today. And, um, you know, just his play coinciding with the, the team being better than we have been for the last four or five years uh, last season. So, yeah, yeah I, I mentioned yeah. Dinwiddie as, as one option, I suppose. I guess he's the perfect example to explain what I would do with Kelly Oubre if it's not a Chris Paul type mega trade um, for a huge player on the roster, I would just look to turn Kelly into a different player that makes more sense on this roster, which is where I get to the Dinwiddie stuff, like needing a third guard. I just think, you know, we saw it in the bubble. Don't want to read too much into that, but I just think that Kelly as a player and the role that he plays uh, is a little easier to get rid of than some of the other guys on the current roster. So I, I would kind of make it a sideways move uh, of sorts if I'm just going like a one-for-one one option, Brendan. Sure, and the Suns are in a unique spot because when you think about Dinwiddie, you know, it kind of, it doesn't necessarily make sense logically when you think about team building in the NBA that the Suns would give up a wing for a guard that's tend to be the opposite way. You know, Brooklyn getting a wing out of that when they have a backup uh, kind of a they have too many guards on the roster, right? They have Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, they have young guys coming in. They have picks this year. So you would think it would go the other direction, but I think this that can actually work to the Suns' benefit where teams might uh, see Oubre as having more value than somebody like Dinwiddie, whereas the Suns would would see it the opposite way. So I think that could play into this. I, I talked about, I think, in a past episode that in the Locked On NBA mock draft, I looked, I looked at... Uh, like a, a um, Seth Curry option, which would be another way where, and some picks, which would be another way that the Suns could use that cap space that they have a little bit to take back. Um, you you could you could go over or under Ubre depending on the trade partner. In this case, Dallas would be able to take that. Um, I think there maybe was another player that I had, that they had to throw in and some of the stuff we were talking about. But I, I do think that's one area where the cap space or another team's cap space can come into play. It doesn't necessarily have to be, to put it plainly, a player who makes an identical amount of money to Kelly Oubre. But there are a ton of, of options, and I do think he's a guy who has some value around the league. The team that gets him will keep his bird rights, so a good team getting him means that they could go over the cap next summer to re-sign him. I think that's going to have value, so... We'll see. I don't think his name's going to leave the trade uh, rumor mill anytime soon, even if this Chris Paul stuff does not come to fruition. But I know you are all waiting to hear us talk about Chris Paul, so we will not make you wait any longer. We'll be back right after this to break it all down. 
Alrighty, as I said in the end of that last segment, I hope you guys will tune into the Locked On NBA Mock Draft over on the Locked On NBA feed. And uh, give us a follow at Locked On PHX Suns, where I am constantly putting stuff up on the feed to keep up with that I do, that the network does. Um, so that's the best one stop shop to keep up with all of that. But here we are Chris Paul rumors, uh, Chris Paul theorizing is, is everywhere on, on NBA Twitter right now, especially among Suns fans. David, what were your general thoughts there? And um, what do you see happening if a trade does come to fruition? Yeah, it's a, it was a bit of a shock for that one to, to come through and try and react to, to what the hell was happening. But um, I, I guess I was semi-prepared for this. A, a newsletter, anyone who follows the newsletter that's listening would know uh, that I did a, a, a newsletter a little while ago talking about Jeff Bauer uh, and kind of how much power I think he may actually have uh, within the Suns front office. And I, I kind of presumed that if they did want to make a splash that Chris Paul... Uh, would be an option they look at because Jeff Bauer drafted Chris Paul when he was the GM uh, of the New Orleans Hornets, I believe it was uh, at yeah. the time. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's still a shock, don't get me wrong, um, just to even think where, where, where we've come from in the last few years that the Suns would even be in a position to trade for a player like Chris Paul. But, you know, I think it's pretty hot topic on Twitter at the moment, which is where I talk about the Suns the most, um, very you know, polarizing option. I think you either kind of sit on one side of the fence or the other. Uh, this happens quite a bit with me. I kind of seem to sit somewhere in the middle. I think if the cost is Cali Oubre and Ricky Rubio, you know, and mostly just because you need those guys to, to match salary, um, I'm okay with it. I think if the Suns kind of get prestied here a little bit, you know, Sam Presti, OKC, Thunder GM or head of basketball ops or whatever his title is these days, uh, you know, has a history, recent history of, of swindling some trades, you know, whether it was the Paul George one uh, or ironically the Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook one that, you know, he now has a, a stockpile of picks on. So if the Suns get really roped into throwing in extra picks here or say a guy like Cam Johnson or, you know, God forbid a guy like Mikael Bridges, that's when I might start to push back the other way and kind of go, you know, we, we had a decent team here with Kelly and, and Ricky, but you know, I do see, you know, I think you really, the point that needs to be made here is you need to see it through the lens of Devin Booker. I think this move is a very clear indication that they are doing everything that they can to give Devin Booker winning players now to not make it going into next season like, oh, if everything breaks right and they play like the bubble, you know, they might make the seventh or eighth seed. I think if you make this trade, it's basically saying we're not going to leave it up to chance. Uh, we're going to put the best roster or the best uh, players around Devin Booker to make sure we're in the playoffs next season to make him happy because it'll be uh, season number seven next year off the top of my head that he will have missed the playoffs. And that's when it starts to get a little bit concerning uh, that he might, you know, demand a trade or at least, you know, publicly be unhappy with the franchise. Yeah. And that way, I think it's a little like the Timberwolves trading for Jimmy Butler uh, when Carl Towns was uh, a little bit earlier in his career than Booker is obviously, but um, similar in terms of upping the ante and, and basically saying, you know, we believe in you enough that we think you and this guy 
means that we're going to be a pretty good team. And they were, you know, they fell down to the eighth seed, but they were in a much similar position to what the Suns would be where they're going to, they would have been hovering around probably the four, five, six range if they hadn't dealt with injuries, including I think to Butler himself. So that's just a little bit of a comp that I've been thinking of. But what I wanted to ask because we'll have plenty of time to, you know, probably hear from Booker about this if it happens, and imagine uh, the the sort of different op- different possibilities for what that team's going to look like on the floor. But before we get there, I think the big thing to consider is what it would change for a lot of what we're talking about. You know, I went through yesterday that why it's it's effectively a lock that it would have to include Ubre and Rubio. Um, I know you broke down one very, very bizarre mechanism where it would maybe not, but I don't think that's very likely. I don't think you think that's very likely either. So if we assume it's Rubio and Ubre, that, that basically leaves the Suns with a lot of the same options we previously discussed with Sharich and Baines and, and Javon Carter and everyone else. So uh, Frank Kaminsky in there as well. So what do you think that changes in terms of the types of players the Suns might go after? What type of style do you think that they you know, would it would it change for you the types of targets that you would go after if you're building around a Chris Paul and Devin Booker team rather than a Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker team? And I guess what maybe names stand out to you there? Because I've heard I've heard Danilo Gallinari a lot, and let me just get out in front of it and say I don't love that fit. I think the you're going to be changing your identity a little bit if you bring Chris Paul in compared to Rubio. And I wrote about this a little up right side of the sun this morning. The fit between between Paul and, and Booker and what would be different about it than what we saw last year. But I think you still want to stay true to that identity that you had in the bubble and at your best last season. Think back to that Mavericks win in February when Bridges just smothered Luka and, and their defense was really the difference maker there and they were scoring in transition and, and knocking down threes and Aiton's running the floor. I think at its core, that's the that's this team. That's what Booker, Bridges, and Aiton are together. And, you know, so Gallinari, to me, a player like that, coupled with Paul, who we know is going to slow the pace down a little bit, I just think that's too drastic of a pivot away. So not to get, not to give my answer before yours, David, but what, what types of things do you think change if they do bring Paul in from a, a salary standpoint, from a target standpoint, and a style standpoint? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think the first thing that I would say, and I was talking about this on Twitter earlier this morning, is... You know, I think Chris Paul's kind of treating this like free agency in a way. Like the Suns have to essentially convince him the type of team that they're going to be able to build around him before he says, yes, you can trade for me. And players like Chris Paul in these situations can kind of do that uh, and, and you know, have that leverage and, and run the show, so to speak. So, you know, you mentioned Gallo. It's definitely one option, um, but I think they're going to have options here. And I think if the trade does become official or, or we get a report about it, I think it's a clear indication that uh, the Suns have been able to convince him that they're going to spend. So I think, you know, what I said was if it falls apart, I, I would say it may not be the only reason, but I would say that they couldn't do a good enough job convincing Paul that they were really going to invest and spend the salary around him, which would be, you know, a shame, but, you know, not uh, unrealistic given what we know with this franchise and the owner. Um, But if they do get him across the line, I I really, I would go all in. I think it would be a clear indication that the Suns have been able to convince him that they're going to uh, go over the cap. They're going to bring back Saric. They're going to bring back Baines. They're going to use the whole mid-level exception to sign a power forward. As you said, whether that's Gallo, um, I don't think you'd get a guy like Davis Bertans for the mid-level based on what he would be 
asking for elsewhere. Maybe you can go a Christian Wood angle, um, which would be strange, I think, because you'd probably be looking for more veteran-type players. Um, but, you know, maybe they, they just like his longer-term fit with the Suns as well, which is a, a great point too. You don't want to go too far the other way. I really loved your comparison to the Wolves before. And, um, you know, I think that was a slightly different situation, I suppose, because Jimmy Butler was um, a free agent after their um, playoff run. Oh, no, actually, it was probably the same, wasn't it? It was probably two years. They made the playoffs the first year, and then things kind of went haywire in the second year. I could be wrong on yeah, that. Yeah, I think, I think it was the same. I think he had two years left. The other, one, the other reason I like that comp is that the, the reasons for the trade were pretty similar in that Butler had the, the relationship with Thibodeau. And so, you know, you have that type of same thing here with uh, Paul, obviously, knowing Bauer and Monty. Yeah, yeah, I, I just love it. I think it's the perfect comparison in terms of what you were saying. Like you, you're basically saying we've got this young dude who we really love. Um, you know, we've got some other pieces, you know, whether you kind of equate Wiggins to Aiton, hopefully Aiton's career turns <laughs> out a little bit better than, than Wiggins does. But it, it was a very similar situation and you kind of go, we're going to get this all NBA guy. Uh, also very similar personality wise, demand a lot from their team which can or cannot work against um, the young guys on the roster. I don't see any issue at all with a guy like Devin Booker. He loves to work, so I just don't think that's going to be a problem. Probably would be a good thing for DeAndre Ayton, if anything. So, yeah, I guess getting back to the heart of the question, I I think there's a couple of options here. They could either, um, going back all the way to what we spoke about at the start, they could spend up big in free agency, which would be a real commitment here. So they could open up, um, all that cap space that we were talking about, sign a Davis Bertans potentially even to like a really big contract, even sign a secondary player. I think my newsletter mentions a guy like Justin Holiday as like a, a reserve guard off the bench. So you spend all that 22 mil, or it might be a little bit less because um, you decide to keep your draft pick and things like that. Uh, and then you execute um, the... Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio. And I think you just need a little bit more salary. I think a guy like Ty Jerome does it for salary matching reasons. You get up to the magic number, which is around $33 million, which not to get too nerdy on the podcast here, Brendan, but you know, with a guy like Paul with 41 million and a little bit over that, uh, you basically have to send out um, 102 or you, you have to, you have to have enough salary to take back uh, 125% of that salary. So the magic number there is around 33 million. So that, that would be a huge commitment. But as I said, if we get word that Chris Paul is coming or that the trade has been done, if everything we know about Sava's past, I think there's a fair chance you can kind of throw it out the window because I just don't think they can convince Paul to even allow them to trade for him if they haven't said that they're going to bring other significant players in because he'd probably look at the roster right now and go, you know, it's pretty similar to what he had in OKC last year, Um, maybe a little bit better, but he, you know, still struggled when it got to the playoffs, you know, Lou Dort famously in that game seven was (laughs) like their, their highest scoring player. And and Chris Paul, you know, had some errors down the stretch because uh, no one else stepped up. Gallo actually had a pretty poor bubble, which, you know, I kind of agree with you would be, 
uh, reason to to pause a little bit on on spending all your space on a guy like that. Um, SGA wasn't very good the entire bubble and, and not very good in the playoffs. So he'd probably look at the roster now and go, it's it's similar to OKC, but you know you want me to move to Phoenix, the bad history there. I need to see that you can do more than OKC. I need to see that you can bring me, you know, two more solid veterans that I really like as players. And more importantly, just kind of show the investment of spending money, which much in the same way was similar to, uh, you know, the courting process of a guy like Monty Williams. I think the the financial commitment there was saying, we're going to give you a five-year deal on what I suspect is pretty good money for Monty Williams, who was, you know, not a head coach in the league at the time of coming to the Suns. So that was the commitment that got him across the line. I think with a guy like Chris Paul, he's getting his $41 million no matter where he goes. So it's more about convincing him that you're you know, going to spend the money around him. Um, yeah, we've mentioned a few names there, but I think yeah. everyone that's talking about it keeps mentioning most of the same names anyway. Um, just because of how thin free agency is, there's really only some... Um, you know, three or four decent options, particularly where the Suns have holes, which, you know, that's the last thing I think you've already nailed it here. But power forward from a play style perspective is probably the biggest hole. And then, I, like I said before, I'd still look at backup guard, even though you know, I could see them maybe staggering Chris Paul and Booker a little bit, but you're still going to want some other capable guards and not lean uh, totally just on, you know, your Javon Carters and campaigns for the entire season. For sure. Yeah. I, I think uh, a few things that I would add would be um, in terms of the commitment, I think I tend to agree like you do have to throw out what you would imagine about Robert Sarver because it's just a situation we haven't seen him operate in. We saw him run a championship contender where his job was to not like sink the ship. And then we've saw, you know, we saw him sort of mismanage a rebuilding team. But this would be, you know, this would be the, the, the move and even maybe an even bigger version of the move Ryan McDonough was trying to make when he signed Tyson Chandler and thought that was going to get him LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, Chris Paul can be that first domino for you where, you know, you're going to get more interest from a team or from a player like Gallinari or somebody that uh, maybe wouldn't have thought twice about you if he wants to win, but now you're going to bring that legitimacy. And I think the other thing I've seen a lot of fans worry about with this is, what it would jeopardize in terms of your cap space next season, which we don't need to break down in depth now because it hasn't happened, of course, yet. But I think Chris Paul's worth it. I think the idea that you were going to improve enough without making a move for a player like Paul and just kind of do the run it back option we went through last time or last segment and be good enough, be be you know make enough of a stride forward that you were going to to turn heads in for agency like when teams like Miami and Toronto are our players I don't buy that I just don't think they were going to really be in in contention for those big time players whereas Paul A brings you that contention and and respect that I think you're trying to find and trying to re-earn uh, among the league and if it goes well, you know, we could be talking about a Chris Paul trade market again next summer. I don't think it's a guy that you don't need to necessarily plan on having him for two seasons necessarily. So I think there's still enough flexibility next summer that I wouldn't consider it a lost cause to spend next summer. But I also think even if you aren't able to, that your team's going to be good enough and 
if Paul is staying healthy and staying competitive, you know, that's still going to be a really good team. And, and Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridge is all getting better. Uh, I think that's a risk worth taking because I'm not really sold on the idea they were going to be signing great players in 2021 anyway. But that is all the time we have today. David, I really appreciate you coming on as always. Uh, if you want to plug the newsletter or your Twitter or anything one more time, I, I would be happy to because people should be following. No, thanks for having me on, Brennan. It's uh, the four-point play, the IV point play on Twitter, if you don't follow me already. Uh, and the four-point play, just in normal letters, .substack.com uh, is the newsletter if anyone wants to go and subscribe i'm trying to get that up to as, as many subscribers before the season starts as possible so i can uh yeah just not have to promote it as much on my twitter and just have it come <laughs> straight into the inbox which was the whole point uh that you know anyone who wants it can have it in their emails but yeah i really enjoyed the chat i think you nailed it on the head there at the end and uh, i talked about that at the very end of my last newsletter on Chris Paul, just in terms of the calculated risk that it would be if this trade does go ahead. But let's not count our chickens yet. Uh, <laughs> we, we just don't know. We don't know. And that's uh, part of the fun of the offseason, Brendan. And that's why I love talking about it. A ton of fun. It always is. And I hope you guys are, like I said, I hope you're excited. Uh, it, it's giving us more to look forward to with this sun season than we haven't had in a long time. It already was that way, and now there's a, a Chris Paul-sized uh, addition to that list of things to get excited about. So uh, tune in Monday. We'll be talking to Jackson Frank, who did a, a great feature story on Tyrell Terry, and we'll be breaking down the latest draft rumors. I'm sure we will have plenty more to talk about by Monday on that regard. And I uh, appreciate all the guys, all, all of you guys for listening all week. It's been fun to be back. And uh, let's go. Let's get into it. Draft season's approaching and the rest of it's not far behind. Have a good weekend, everybody.